Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my name's Jess Phillips, and this is Yours Sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Grace Dent is a restaurant critic, broadcaster and author. She hosts the podcast Comfort Eating and wrote a memoir about her life and love of food called Hungry. She recently co-hosted the Channel 4 show Best of Britain by the Sea, where she travelled around the UK with Ainsley Harriet, trying out the best meals and holiday destinations. Today I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So this is all about letter writing. Are you much of a letter writer or were you much of a letter writer? I was a massive letter writer from about the age of 14 to 18. I think they were much... So we're talking about the the mid-80s till when I got to uni in the early 90s. And I will tell you why. Because obviously it was that point before the internet and for email so you relied on it and then there was also this sense of there was a real romance about it this idea that your friends in the summer holidays you went in separate directions and even though somebody was maybe only like six miles away you wrote them a letter yeah and you wrote them you and you wrote and you wrote and you wrote and you wrote you know there'd be like seven pages and you'd do illustrations and it'd be it full of gossip and stickers around them. and things like that and then also some of my earliest romances would have been in my goth days when I was about 14 15 16 years old goth indie days and you'd go into the NME and this is like obviously before tinder before date internet dating and that was how you would meet kind of fellow goths and fellow, you know, fellow Smiths fans and fellow Cure fans. You, you would see a little, it would say, you know, tall goth Manchester seeks, you know, ice maiden, P.O. Box 342. 
And I would, you know, just travel around in the local park in Birmingham called <laughs> Pigeon Park, and it's uh, just uh, like, that's where the goths hung out. Yeah, no, but the whole thing is, I lived in Carlisle, and there was only about eighteen goths, and like you know, from Annan in Scotland to you know half Preston. Yeah. I so, thought we were over. We we were over representing in well, Birmingham Pigeon Park. Well, I wish, do you know, I wish I'd known you then because I'd have been, I would have cleaned up in Pigeon Park because I was an amazing goth. And at that point, but, you know, in history, I used to, so you'd write these letters to the, the NME and then you would get them back and you would like, you know, they would have like cuttings in them from newspapers because they wanted to share, you know, a clan of Zymox review with you that you hadn't seen or a lock of their hair or... You know, and you would write each other poetry. I always think there must be men who are in their 50s now across Britain that are like, I've got some really bloody bad poetry by her. I think it is interesting, though, that now in 2022, if you have got something you need to say to somebody, I don't mean it, I mean, yes, in an official capacity, if you want to moan at Tesco or whatever, but if you want to say something to a friend, a letter still hits the spot if I pick up you know some A4 paper and just write uh, how I feel about someone dying or a new baby or something like that people will always say well just get a card and you write and you write from the heart won't people always be more touched every time they will say I got oh god I got a letter whereas an email doesn't cut doesn't cut it so do you have any letters of notes that you've kept I have um two large silver boxes upstairs they're not don't worry they're not actually made of silver they're silver that you know they're kind of bought from ikea in like the 90s and i've been carrying them round full of all my letters for 20 years so i've still got them all and um i do sometimes i right do i sometimes get them out i, f- I find it very painful i find it very and i want I, I don't want to lose them and I don't want them to be found when I die. So I don't want, so I don't really want them at the same time. I kind of, it would be good if I could, you know, that thing Swedish death cleaning that you do where you're meant to get rid of everything that would be found if he yeah. died. Yeah. And, Isn't it slightly fascist? Somebody once told me it's based on it? fascism. I don't know why. Oh I don't know what the link uh, between what, what? Piggy and fascism Why can't we is? have something nice, honestly? Why does it always yes, have to I get back to that? three people you'd want to write a letter to. Uh, and the first one being the person who means the world to you. Obviously, you might have more than one person. I'll put the disclaimer on that you don't pick a new person because you only like one person in the entire world. <laughs> that would also be that very would goth, be very goth. And that one person is Andrew Eldritch from the Sisters of Mercy, <laughs> and that's it. No one else. No, uh, the person. So the first person I'd look, like to write a letter to is okay. Hang on, I'm going to set the scene. It's about 1979. It's Saturday morning. I live in Curragh in a little terraced house in Carlisle and multicoloured swap shop with no Edmonds is on on a Saturday morning and it is the most exciting part of the entire week. Now, if you watch clips of it on YouTube, it's actually quite slow and quite 
adult and 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 it's not as sparky and mad as I remember it but I think relatively by those days the fact that it was it was children's television and they had this thing where the multicolored swap shop was that you could swap your toys with other people. So you rang in and said, I've got scale electrics and they put it on a board and then someone would ring in and say, oh, I've got I've got a, an, a, an A-team. I've got an A-team annual and we're going to swap it anyway. And then all the pop bands came on and, and Maggie Philbin and Keith Chegwin and it was all very exciting. And there was this woman who used to appear and do the cookery. And she was this lovely woman with brown hair and like she'd always have like a kind of a, a quirky jumper on, Delia Smith. And she used to come on and just quietly and gently describe how to make fairy cakes or how to make a pie or how to make, you know, chocolate crispy cakes. Or, and she was my first ever glimpse of cooking on television that I I empathised and loved and wanted to do the things that she did. Now, I was looking into this and I thought, well, now, was that the first time I ever saw her? And I realised that her television career began in 1973. That was, and that was the year I was born. That was before she got to Swap Shop. So I think I was seeing her from been like the first times I was seeing television you know so I've known of Delia Smith all my life since I was you know I was probably like looking at her when I was in a crib and I just I just love her I think think that that she has become like I remember uh, I remember it it was like 1992 I think like when the summer collection came out and literally all we ate was limes and capers and my mum became totally and utterly obsessed with it. Like, everything had lime zest on it. Like, everything we ate had lime zest and papers <laughs> on it. But, like, you know, like, she fundamentally... Now, things that, like, we take for granted... I don't just mean lime... I mean, limes, we definitely take them for granted. But, like, she made buying trends. Like, her influence is considerably bigger than the sort of slightly piss-taking way that sometimes she can be treated. And it's sort of now a little bit become synonymous with, like, boring. Like, you know, oh, it's a bit Delia. I think that a lot of things happened with Delia. Right, first of all, yes, her importance to Generation X and older is it's 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 priceless there was a point where every house you went in whether it was working class or middle class there would be you'd see her face propped up in the kitchen that like you know with uh one is fun or yeah the winter collection you know her no i don't know her at all um no i don't i mean i've there was i um I just kind of almost don't want to when I lo- when I love somebody so much I don't want to, I don't I don't want to meet them because I'm so bothered that they'll be horrible or just having a bad day and I I've swore by this all my life if somebody asks me to be somewhere where I was once at a party and someone said Morrissey's coming so I I went home I was so scared I was like I mean a lot exa- I mean a lot of people would be saying right now you made the right decision I do think with with Delia, 
there's been a slight rewriting of history because much as I love Mary Berry and she's done some incredible things and much as I love Prue Lees and she's done some incredible things because Mary Berry did Bake Off and, you know, it, it became this, this kind of national... No, it became folklore, which I'm sure a lot of younger people... That she, that she had been around forever and she had taught the, she taught the nation to cook. Now... Yeah, I agree. I don't, we had Prulete's cookbook, we did, but it was like a big tome that was like, you know, I don't know, like more, more like an encyclopedia of cooking. Leeds book when I was a kid, but um, so I always um, shout at the television whenever anybody is saying, you know, Mary Berry has been in the nation's hearts teaching them to cook since the early 70s. I've never heard of her before, Baker, exactly. But I think that's a very working class thing. I'm like, I, I'm just like, well, she wasn't in my space then, anyway, right? Maybe she was on BBC Two. My kids would say that. Like they have, they grew up baking cakes from a Mary Berry cookbook because they live, they've only been alive since Bake Off's been on. But I, I've never, I genuinely never heard of her before. Uh, but yeah, like maybe that is a class thing. Like we weren't making, you know, Viennese worlds because you could buy six for 49 pence down the shop. Yeah. Like what? You're not going to make one better than you can buy. What I love about Delia as well is like, you know, she's, I think she's 80 now and over the last 15 years she kind of stopped making television and she's kind of stopped putting cookbooks out and her book that she's got out at the moment is about kind of faith and God and meditation and the meaning of life and she says that you know she just went around different publishers saying this is what I want to do and they were like no thanks kind of thing like why do you want to do that and she's like well, I can, oh, you can, oh, I've only got so many, there's only so many things you can do with a bloody avocado, you know? And that's what she kind of, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what she said, you know, I've, I've done blood orange season yeah. 50 times, you know? I'm, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to talk about God. I want to talk about my faith and people. And, I, and you know, that's kind of badass. It really is to just go, this is what I'm going to do. So anyway... There is only so many things you can do with an avocado. And at what point did we stop calling them an avocado pear? Oh, I, wanted, I, I did not get the memo. But we, when I was a kid, we used to call it an avocado pear. And now, no one says that. Like, people would, my children would be like, what the fuck is wrong with you if I said that in front of them? But we definitely used to call them avocado pears. I think Generation X kids are always going to be naturally suspicious of an avocado. Like, I think we can just about get behind mashing it on toast. Just about, but everything else, you kind of see it. And the only time I've ever had smashed avocado, it's just like, it's quite like dry toast with avocado on the top. I'm like, put some butter on this bread and then put the avocado on it. It will be a vast improvement uh, uh, of this dish. Do you know what I want to see? I want to see the Jess Phillips cookbook. Page one, egg. (laughs) Egg, poorly made. My, my my cookbook would be a series of insane diets that I have been on throughout <laughs> the entirety of my life where, you know, it's just like in this whole chapter, you won't eat any carbs at all. You And then you won't eat any vegetables in some of them and then you won't eat any and then you'll only eat carbs for 10 years and then you won't eat at all. The first chapter would be called Bacon and Constipation. <laughs> <laughs> 
about 10 years I only ate bacon. I remember I was on the Atkins for just before I got pregnant with my first baby. And uh, all I would eat was bacon, salad leaves, covered in mayonnaise. And as soon as I got pregnant, like the sight of mayonnaise would literally just make me vomit. Like it was like horrible. Like I can't believe I ate so much. I mean, I used to just like eat it from the jar, but I was losing weight. I was 22. Of course, I was losing weight, just eating mayonnaise straight from a jar. But I think that me and you could talk without pausing for breath for the next three and a half hours just about diets and shit diets and the, the ways that we have got ourselves into smaller clothes and the, uh, the you know, the stupid... But the stupid things, like talking about Atkins... Just it makes me fearful because I was exactly the same as you. I remember the weight dropping off me and just eating literally like cheese off the block. <laughs> well, the only reason you're losing weight and people are going mad is because you're eating less calories, fewer calories, uh, and you're like, yeah. Well, that's what my husband is like. Oh, you know, it's very, very annoying that if you just move more and eat less. You will lose weight. That is an irritating fact, but it is sadly the truth. It is an irritating fact. It is an irritating fact. Um, and uh, anyway, Delia would have none of this. There was always lots of butter and butter and sugar and everything in her recipes, and that's why we loved them. So, how would you sign off your letter to Delia? I would say, uh, th- thank you for making me see at an early age that a life in food could maybe be possible and you did invent TikTok food and I would like to apologise to you on behalf of the nation for laughing about the fact that you put tinned tinned mints and like frozen mashed potato together because basically now you would have about 70 million followers on uh, on TikTok. Love you, Grace. Right, so your second letter would be to somebody who's no longer here. So who would that be to? My second letter is to uh, my mother's mother. Now, I'm called Grace. My mother was called Grace. Her mother was called Grace, right? My gran, my grandmother, Grace, was an absolute... She was a piece of work, right? And I I only realise now she's been dead since 1994. And I only realise now the travesty that I didn't get... that, that I can't spend time with her now, you know, because I miss her. And now I look back at what an absolute piece of work she was. She was funny. She took absolutely no prisoners. Proper northern Cumbrian woman, the youngest of seven sisters, had grown up on the side of a hill in remote Cumberland. Kind of women that, like, killed their own sheep and pigs rode around on bikes being like amateur midwives and amateur... If you haven't got a granny who was an amateur midwife, you're not working class. I mean, my nan, exactly. when I was door knocking in my constituency, they were like, oh, yeah, I think I think your nan delivered me. I'm like that. 
Sorry about that. I hope she's all right, Joe. Amateur midwives. Yeah, amateur. Uh, am- amateur. Like my, my mother would go. Oh yeah, your gran used to lay all the bodies out because she'd had some nurse training, you know. And you'd be like, "What? Oh yes, you know my gran on her bike." Tra- just an absolute, like always. My grandmother was always in um, in in umbrage with people, so she would have a list. You know, she lived in this terraced house at the other side of Carlisle, and she had a list of people that were like basically on her shit list, and and, and it would be over some. You know, some slight, you know. And she was just funny. She had a massive... She was one of those grands who, by the time she was about 65, she was, like, she was almost spherical, right? You know, proper, like, 1970s grand. Spherical, wore a smock dress. She had white cotton wool hair. She had pernicious anemia. She had really big, enormous arms, right? Really big, enormous grand arms, a walking stick and this massive white handbag, which she took everywhere, which had every, it had all the deeds to her house, like her purse, all of her premium bonds, all of her, like all, you know, everything. I always said, all of everybody's birthdays written on pieces of paper and like her will and everything in this bloody massive handbag that she took everywhere. And I always say that her handbag was like a rudimentary version of the internet. It was just like everything, just there. She, she devoted her entire life to my granddad. My granddad was uh, away in the Second World War for the whole of the Second World War. And she just, I look back and I think, she just accepted that, you know, and just got on with it. And, you know, she had a baby at the beginning of the war and he came back at the end. And my, you know, my my mother was a a kid by that point, didn't even recognise him. So whenever anybody these days is kind of going, oh, my boyfriend's going away for the weekend. I don't know, what what will I do? I'll miss it when I'm like, women back there were just hard as hell, you know? People went away for years. They didn't know where they were, didn't know whether they'd been killed. And she just sat there and she waited it out. When he got back, she regimented that house around him in a way that I still to this day find fascinating. He had his breakfast every morning, a fry up at like seven o'clock and by when they were retired, I always say, breakfast at seven and by 7.20, he was up a set, set of step ladders, like faffing around with guttering. And by that point, she was setting the table for lunch. Lunch was on the table. And then, you know, cooking in this like tiny little kitchen where it all, the house always stank of gas, you know? St- totally always stank like there was like, it was gonna blow up because they had this like little water heater in the, in the kitchen. Did that, you have a that, you know, grinder on the wall? Uh, she she had something better. She had like a, a six-story cake tin that was always full to the brim of biscuits and home-baked cakes. Lunch would go and she would set for tea. And then once tea had happened, my granddad at seven o'clock, would, at eight o'clock, would always get two cream crackers with some, with some cut cheddar cheese, right? And then... They went to bed and and it began again the next day. This entire, an entire life of service to one man. And I just took her for granted, you know? She was really bitchy 
I don't, and everybody involved in this story is now dead, and I still feel bad saying this. She was bitchy. She was God-fearing in a kind of very spooky goth way. She, uh, she, and she told, she, she spoke as she, like, she's the epitome of she spoke as she found, and she was an absolute hoot. And, and she died in, you know, I remember she was, you know your mum, when you're old, when, you, when your grand's getting old, and your mum's like, oh, your grand's not, your, I'm speaking in Cumbria, your grand's not at our well. And I'm like, over, she's not good. She's in bad fettle. She's not, she's, I'm, I'm, again, she's not very good, right? And, and I remember just taking it for granted. Oh, she'll, she'll be all right. And then she just died. She got taken into hospital and died. And, uh, and I've never quite got over it, you know? And, and I find as I get older, I do sometimes think like, you know, you get heading towards 50 and I think, shit, my gran was like an old woman almost <laughs> I now. Anyway, I just miss her. I miss when her. When she said she wore a smock, did you ever once see her in trousers? I never once saw either of my grandmothers wearing never. trousers ever, never, ever, ever, ever. But then I look at my parents and my husband's parents and they look like they like their grandparents and they don't look like grandparents. I'm like, you, you need to work on this, man. Like, mm -hmm. you, you really, you don't look like, you, you're not wearing a pullover with a tie and a shirt to go up the gut, do the gutters. Like, you need to, you, you need to work on it. Like, this is not, this is good enough. You haven't got a tabard on. Like, you've, you've totally failed at wearing a pinny at all times of day. <laughs> My grandmother n never told me that she loved me and she never told me that she even liked me in fact she she gave the 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 impression a lot of times that she didn't really like me it was that 1970s 1980s working class attitude you don't go around telling people you love them she never really cuddled me she never really gave me a kiss how she communicated love was you'd be leaving the house and she'd go here and she'd get the massive handbag out and she'd get the purse and then she'd slip you some money behind your mother's back. Here, take that. Take it. You know? And, like, as a family, that was how, you know, my mother and her communicated love. You'd go for a scone in a garden centre and then you'd have that fight of the five quid across the table. You know what I mean? So I, I really wish now, now that I've got this, like, life in food... Like I'm kind of, I'm getting together a cookery book at the moment. And I just, there's things I just go, how did she used to make that pie in 10 minutes? She would make it every day. She'd just get, she'd go flour, fling flour at the, the board, fling a bit of water at the board, maybe a bit of lard or suet. And she just seemed to do it with one hand. And then the pastry would go on a plate and she'd fling a bit of mincemeat in it. And this delicious pie would come out of the oven about 30 minutes later, and I've been sitting, trying to road test, like, thinking, how did she do it? She didn't have a magic mix. She didn't have a, any of these things. So, yeah, look. They didn't put pastry in the fridge for weeks or whatever you meant to do. Like, my nan just made pastry, then made something. She, uh, so, do you know, like, so I lost my gran, and then, like, I lost my mother uh, a year and a half ago, and now it's like I turned around to my niece and I, well after it had happened and I, I just was like 
right, okay, well, f I'm the captain now, basically. <laughs> I'm the captain, I'm top grace. And I kind of, I've taken on the role, like I am kind of trying to be a matriarch of the family. But God, I just wish I could ask them things. I wish I could sit down and ask, I'd love, to, I would love to ask my grandmother what she did all day in when she was when he when it when he was at war and she was living in this really remote farmhouse and my mother said we didn't even have a radio we didn't have a we didn't have any we didn't have anything we didn't have a telephone we didn't have a radio we didn't have any music we didn't really have any power we didn't live near anybody and i was like what did you do all day and she said oh well, she had a routine you know monday would be washing and tuesday would be whatever, sticking it out on the line and making jam and wet, you know, just filling your time. But the intense loneliness and isolation. So God, I just want to, I would love to just have a couple of days with her. Yeah. And also when you don't realise until you grow in, you grow older that you want to be a bit of a piece of work. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you don't, take you take for granted especially those matriarchal women because they're just there and they're just being funny uh and like amusing and you just you just let's look like, because your aunties and that they're like that as well like it's just like that's the way that generation is but then you, you just take it for granted and then you can't absorb it like you can't get out of it what it was do you think that her like cooking well obviously the cooking was a big thing um that that that's the way she showed love was to cook my also there's a class thing about that as well though isn't there like my nana say i haven't got much in and then you'd open the door and there'd be an enormous spread just like that i've just thrown a few things together don't be expecting too much just a few kit kats and it was literally like you were in like food glorious food it's just like jesus man this is a lot we're not going to eat this you know, my, my gran was like, she was of the ilk that she, when the big supermarkets arrived, like the big Asda and whatever, she didn't want to go to them. She was determined to keep on going to the tiny little shops, tiny little butchers and things like that, which is very modern now. It's very like trendy. Honestly, we've got, we've got this, like, it's called the clean kilo and it's like where people go and buy, you know, you buy it like in a bag of fennel seeds or a bag of dal or whatever and it's like like uber middle class and my husband was like do you remember super scooper on the high street when we were, we were kids we go and get cornflakes it's like that used to be for poor people this now this is now like the uber trendy thing to do it's amazing how that has all been totally co-opted as being really middle class it's all been yeah god uh, like i that she would go into these shops. She'd go in, and she was like the scourge of these people because she'd go into the butchers and just like really go, these sausages, are they good? And he would go, you could see that, you know, she liked to see the fear in the, in the eyes of the butcher. So I kind of, I kind of respect that. And that's like a, it's a thing that, it's a thing that now we're, to, we're, we're told to ask the provenance of stuff and she was always bloody doing that. Do you know what the funny thing is that I always say about my grandmother is that she would speak, you know, she would just say the truth to somebody right to their face and people were, people were astounded by it. 
and we once went to a garden party in the 70s like a you know when like hospitals and places like that had garden parties and it was garden fates and it's like a tombola and I guess the weight of the fruitcake and Jimmy Savile turned up and he used to always turn up I mean this is it he used to turn up at all these bloody things and he turned up the same as ever and he's in his sweaty sweaty you know tracksuit with his armpit hair and things like that and he's walking through glad handing all the grannies and kissing people and he got to my grandmother and she just grimaced at him and his face kind of slid past her because he realized he was getting nowhere with my gran and she turned around and she went oh he stinks of flesh because obviously he didn't wear deodorant right and we were because he was such an enormous star you know i mean this is the equivalent now of taking someone to a party and they like kick elton john up the arse or something you know and and it became family folklore for 20 years that my that my grandmother had the temerity and the brass balls to insult jimmy savile and then oh do you know so my how i would sign this letter off is gran you were right <laughs> <laughs> Gran. Always the ones you most expect. It's like, Gran, everybody was appalled that you were rude to Jimmy Savile. And it turned out that he became the great, the bloody greatest villain of all time, right? So, yeah, yeah, you're bang on. Ever yearned for the perfect pub to reveal itself from some unexpected alley? Well, The Moon Underwater is the podcast for you. Join me, John Robbins, and the lovely Robin Allender Hi. as we help a special guest create their dream pub. From the drinks behind the bar to the music on the jukebox, The Moon Underwater is whatever you want it to be. So, if you would like to join us in Desire's beating heart, search The Moon Underwater. Or maybe The Moon Underwater will search for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, 
The final letter would be to someone who doesn't know the effect that they've had on your life. So who would that be? So when I first got to London in 1996, and as I said, I've had all these rejection letters. I've got, and all I want to do is work in media. All I want to do is, I just don't want a normal job. I don't want to go and work as a civil servant or something like that. Not that these aren't amazing jobs, but I, would, I just couldn't see myself doing it. I wanted to work in media and I didn't have any ins and I didn't know what to do. And I was living in a, uh, a flat, shared flat in Bounds Green at the end of the Piccadilly line and just writing all these letters. And I just felt kind of growingly swallowed up by London and growingly depressed, really. If I, you know, if I admit, I mean, it was kind of a cloud was starting to come over me. And I always remember that I was, re- I'd really got into this, this rap artist called Missy Elliott. And it was 19... 19- 96, 97, right? And she had released uh, Super Duper Fly, which was the first album. And we had that on CD, the girls that I lived with in the house. And we just played Super Duper Fly the whole time on this, like, you know, playing... I'm trying to think what it was. It's like just this small, tinny stereo, you know, and we... Everything about it, this everything about her, she wasn't a dolly bird. She was always fully clothed. She was pretty. She's she's a she's a lovely looking girl, but she wasn't maximising on her looks and she you know wearing all kind of whatever you know. She wasn't being a pop star like that. And we just played beat 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 me nine one one and the rain and sock it to me and hit him with a he continually in that house and I I just loved it and one night I was feeling like absolute crap and I sat down and there was a VH1 do you remember VH1 VH1 behind the music Missy Elliott and it told this story of of where she was in 1993 and she'd gone to New York and been put in this house with about 20 other artists by their record company And she just had a really hard time because they were trying to market her as an artist, but she wasn't any of the things that you have to be to sometimes to rise in media. And I was kind of finding this all at the same time. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, all I wanted to do, I wanted to be an MTV presenter. I wanted to be a fat, I wanted to work in fashion magazines or I wanted to be on telly and I wanted to do all these things, but... You know, I was a small girl with funny teeth from Carlisle with a big bum who didn't know anybody living in a bloody flat in Bounds Green with no money and like no inheritance coming to me and no connections in media and no fancy media degree. And like, you know, I didn't have a way in. And I remember just watching this thing with Missy Elliott and uh, her saying... I mean, it was, you know, she was basically saying, I'm living in this like little room, kind of, you know, making beats or whatever they used to call it back then. And the record company didn't know what to do with me. You know, I didn't want to wear, I I just didn't look the part, but I just kept on going and I kept on going and I kept on going until eventually all those 20 people, almost all of them left the house. And she was friends with Timberland and they start to make this amazing music. And to me, she was just this 
role model from then on, you know, and she was the soundtrack to the 90s, me living in Bounds Green, starting to get into media, living in Camden, um, living in South London with a load of people. Um, the She put out this album, um, what's it got? It's got Miss, oh God, what, 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 was the, what was the second album called? Hang on a minute. Miss It Right. So she put out The Real World, right? And The Real World, that was about 1999. And by that point, I was working for the Daily Mirror and they were sending me off because I was like young and pliable and would just get on a plane at the drop of a hat because I had like nothing to stop me. And they were sending me to Jamaica and America and I was doing all these crazy stories and I just listened. I remember listening to She's a Bitch and All In My Grill and Hot Boys on the on the Dereal World album. That to me is one of the greatest albums of all time. And then the one after that, Miss E, so addictive. So that's Get Your Freak On, One Minute Man, and For My People. She has been like a, a driving force because I always say it's not a bad day if you've got Missy Elliott on. And still now, God, you know, like I am, I'm, babes, I'm getting on, right? But I will still walk out in London and I just think, right, I've got to go to a meeting. I've got to face 10 people. Like, I need to convince them something. And there's people around that table that hate me. She's a bitch by Missy Elliott. Just play it. Just play it. Uh, today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's a bitch. Like it's about and your like, grand. grand would, like, completely support this. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny. So when, when you said somebody that would never know what you meant to them. You know, I'm sure when Missy Elliott made, was making music about her life experience, she probably wasn't thinking of a little, you know, a little lass from Carlisle, you know, who lived in the most monocultural background ever. You know, uh, I grew up in a absolutely white Protestant background. We didn't even know any Catholics, right? It was like, we didn't even know anyone as continental as that, you know, as, as uh, you know, as, as different. So I, I, Missy Elliott would never have thought that, but if she, to me, has been a role model, I always think, what would she do, you know? Uh, and How I, did I, you break into the media? What was the thing that did it? I... Uh, eventually got work experience at a magazine and it was Marie Claire magazine and I went there with the attitude I am not leaving <laughs> like I'm not leaving like I am not leaving and and I always say I can't I've ne I never was able to watch Ugly Betty the show because to me, and this is a very modern term, I, I find it triggering because it reminds me of that point of turning up every day and, you know, with my kind of silver fillings and <laughs> and my, you know, I didn't have any money, so I didn't, I didn't have any money for clothes or anything like that. But I remember I got there and I realised that almost every single person that came through as an intern, we didn't call it intern though, work experience, was just was from a very wealthy background and they were coming for two weeks and they weren't going to push themselves that much and then they were going to float off out the door so if they were going to have 25 of those in a year coming for two weeks I thought what I need to just do is be 
absolutely indispensable and you know just so I mean I spent like months and months getting the editors stuff from the dry cleaners you know without a ticket and you know like (laughs) going to get breakfast I say to my kids the way to get a job just like in my office like people will turn up in an election campaign and they like some people are like so keen I always end up giving them jobs in the end if, when I've got them because I'm like, like, get that kid back. He was amazing. Like, I say to my kids, just turn up on time, do everything you're asked. Literally, just, 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 I would, I don't care what education you've got. That is what I want out of somebody who I employ. Just, just, just be like the, you know, just be up in their face with doing shit, like make yourself busy all the time and just keep turning up, just turn up on fucking time. That's all I'm ever going to ask you, just turn up on time and just do the things that you're asked. You've got to be like that to an extent where people start immediately saying, how long are you staying for? How long are you staying for? Because they're panicked that you're going to leave because you, you've you've went in and suddenly you're just kind of going, okay, who wants a coffee? And the coffee appears. And then it's like, oh, what? You want me to... So you're doing like amateur kind of, uh, you know, date. You're doing like amateur internet kind of sleuthing. And then you're suddenly doing, you know, you're kind of fixing people's computers. And it's that, it's that, the minute. And I and I could, I could see it right away that people were kind of saying, when are you going? And when every time anybody said, when are you going? I would just lie. Because I, you know, I would just kind of go, oh, I'm just here for um, another about for a month, and just lie, and just kept on staying, and uh, I know I, I, look, I, I, I just, and eventually I got a job, and but I mean I didn't really write in that position uh, at all. I and then eventually I basically went freelance and started to work for and write for lots of other places, lots of loads of other magazines and newspapers. Started working for the Guardian quite a lot, the Daily Mirror. That was in like about 2001 and started to do bits of telly and then eventually being a... Well, you made it, like Missy Elliott. I'm here, I'm here. You made it. Still you get here. to go on holiday for like living. I mean, I know. Cool. There's a... <laughs> I'm still here. I was just yeah. I'm a living testament to. I think that like the living the dream. Like all my life, I've thought this is being paid to go on a holiday and talk about it on telly. Like that. Like that seems like that's better than the lottery. That's like being paid to go on holiday and talk about it or go to restaurants. And, and and talk about them like that is like what a dream yeah i mean yes first of all absolutely 100 percent. yeah like my life is incredible on another level you still have to after you've been and for example once i've been to that restaurant i wake up at five in the morning and realize that i've promised them like 900 words on it by 10 o'clock and then it feels sometimes less glamorous, but no, it's amazing. And yeah, God, I've just been on a like six week holiday with Ainsley Harry. You know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, that's my, my was... husband and his love of ready, steady cook. That's, that's his idea of heaven. Absolute heaven. <laughs> Do you know the funny thing was that like, I, I didn't, I mean, I, I knew Ainsley was a national treasure and I knew people loved him and I knew he was incredibly well known. I don't think you really grasp how much until you just try and go anywhere with him. People exactly like your husband are just coming out of houses 
to like to hug him and behold him and I always say people start to bring presents and gifts like they leave like we were up in Aberdeen filming and you're filming in a house or something you know doing like making a souffle or whatever and then you open the door and people have left like a little kind of pile of things like in 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 Aberdeen there was a 20 regal king size and a, and a bottle of vodka and I just love it. I just love that. That's why I love Scotland. People are just like, what can we bring him? <laughs> Vodka. Regal? When we, we used to smoke Embassy Number 1, and it was, but they were Regal in Scotland. They were blue. They, they were called Regal. Um, but I, I think Regal have survived, but Embassy Number 1, I don't think, I mean, I don't know because you can't look at packaging on bags anymore, but Embassy Number 1 did not stand the test of time. Yeah. Well, this is it. But like, yeah, we are. So yeah, I've been uh, been away f- with him for weeks, and yeah, we did. We did. It was we were we were paid to be on holiday. I mean, how brilliant! I mean, Gloria Manford, <laughs> or you know, she had a great life. You know, she did. I mean, she like, did. just like that that holiday. You don't get those holiday programs in the same way, apart from cruising with Jane McDonald. So, how would you sign off your letter to Missy Elliott? Because she made it, you made it. Um, I would say. Missy, thank you for giving me the idea that short women with plentiful bottoms and too many teeth, because I think both of us have got too many teeth, but in a delightful way, all the right teeth, just maybe in the wrong places, can get there. And thank you for just always being like a massive inspiration. Well, thank you very much for sharing all your brilliant letters with us, Grace. It's been a total hoot, as I uh, imagined it would be, notwithstanding technical difficulties in all all of these things. Uh, I'm going to go home and make my husband cook me something with limes and capers. (laughs) Halloumi. I'd never heard of halloumi before that summer cookbook. That was the first introduction, I believe, of halloumi to the British Isles. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for letting me talk about things that are really important to me. It was just, that was lovely. Thank you so much. It's nice to talk about things that, like, nice things, the people that you like. I spent all day talking to people, A, who I don't like, and B, who I have to say I don't like over and over and over again. Uh, So it's always a pleasure to be nice. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? You could also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.